6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck begins his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 42 through 48. Well, we're entering the second section of the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms is really divided into five sections. We finished the so-called Genesis section, or book one. The second section is called by many uh, the Exodus section. And uh, it actually includes Psalm 42 through 72. Many uh, commentary books in the book of Psalms speak of a Pentateuch of the Psalms. The Genesis, first 41 Psalms, they would claim are about man. The next session will be about deliverance or redemption from 42 to 72. The third book of Psalms is sometimes called the Leviticus section, which focuses on the sanctuaries, 73 through 89. The fourth one, the fourth section of the fourth book of Psalms, if you will, of the five, it's called Numbers by some, which speaks of the wandering, the wilderness wandering from 90 to 106. And the final one is called Deuteronomy, word of the Lord from 107 through the through to the end, 150. You'll find this categorization in many commentaries, and that's why I put it into our notes so you won't be surprised by it if you run into it. But I have to be candid with you. I personally find these, this, uh, these labels misleading and not necessarily useful. So if you find them useful, then I, you have more perception than I have. In my, in my case, I haven't really gotten into that per se. So uh, I, I treat that with a grain of salt. As you should my own remarks, because obviously I'm not quite in tune with uh, the body of, of scholastic views on this sort of thing. We've been through the first 41. We now are going to enter uh, the second book, and we'll deal with about seven psalms tonight, because they seem to fit together in a special way. As we review the book of Psalms, it's a different kind of study than we usually undertake. We usually get into a book of the Bible expositionally, try to get in behind the historical context, deal with some of the exegetical or vocabulary issues, what have you. With the book of Psalms, there'll be some of that we'll try to touch on, but it's a very different kind of experience. Its primary thrust should be devotional. And the way we first start taking a look at a psalm, if we can, we try to get a glimpse of its past. How does it fit into the history? Uh, uh, what was David? Most of these were written by David. What was his predicament? What were probably his motives in writing the psalm? We, we try to understand that, just to understand his predicament. But then um, the real issue, more practically for us, okay, is how does this affect the present? Especially how does this impact Israel today? The psalm had a role with David, presumably, in some historical issue, but it doesn't end there. It has a role, an impact on Israel today and what it's facing. But for you and I, the real impact of the psalm, ultimately, will be how does it impact you and I personally today? 
These are devotional experiences, not expositional ones. And um, the way you uh, deal with the psalm is to read it and reread it and reread it and really let it become part of yourself. It's interesting to go through history, and you'll realize that most of the great people of history uh, were very, very immersed in the book of Psalms. They all had their favorites. And uh, I've spared delving into a lot of that because I'm not sure how useful that is, just as long as we're aware of it, it's reality. And this has been the paradigm, if you will, that we've used in uh, reviewing some of the Psalms up till now. But tonight, we're going to focus on another part of this paradigm, and that's the prophetic aspect. The book of Psalms is the most quoted Old Testament book in the New Testament. In the New Testament, there are more quotes from the book of Psalms than any other book of the Bible. And uh, many of these quotes, uh, uh, quotes have to do with prophecies of the Messiah. It's astonishing to many Many people who are very diligent students of Bible prophecy are startled to realize that how, how much prophecy is embodied in these hymns, uh, which is really what the book of Psalms is, a hymn book. So a large body of these psalms are designated messianic psalms. Those are not the only psalms where there's a messianic prophecy. Those are the, the Messianic Psalms are Psalms that are actually quoted as Messianic Psalms in the New Testament. And there's quite a few of those. So uh, now past, present, and future uh, prophetic, they all start with P. So if you're a seminary graduate, you know there must be some truth to it if you have an alliterative, you see. So I, in deference to our seminary types, we have everything start past, present, personal, prophetic. And so uh, I'll indulge in that this time. But let's talk a little bit about Messianic Psalms for the moment. As I say, it's quoted more than any other book in the Old Testament. One of the things that the book of Psalms provides each one of us is irrefutable testimony to the divine inspiration of the Scriptures. These Psalms are so prophetic and yet so provably ancient that they're astonishingly, uh, 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 they become an apologetic or an epistemological uh, undergirding of our understanding of the Scripture. And uh, we will be going through these as we go through the book of Psalms. But as you'll notice in here, that um, uh, Psalm 2, 8, 16, 22, 22, 23, and 24 were a group of Psalms that we separated and studied as a group called the Shepherd Psalms some time ago. Also, the other Messianic Psalms include 40, 41, 45, 68, and following. We're going to notice that of the seven Psalms tonight... More than just 45, 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, 47, 48, I'm going to suggest to you are not only prophetic, they have another dimension I'll come to. But uh, the shepherd psalms back there, we, we, Psalm 22 is the suffering Savior, as if Christ dictated it while hanging on the cross. It's so astonishingly precise. The good, it's, uh, it relates to the good shepherd discourse in John 10. The living shepherd of Psalm 23, people who don't, have never heard any other psalm all practically memorized Psalm 23. And uh, the good shepherd, of course, is exemplified in Hebrews 13. And then Psalm 24, 22, 23, 24, Messianic Psalms, well known, the exalted uh, sovereign, the, the chief shepherd, and so forth. Okay, the good shepherd, the great shepherd, and the chief shepherd in the minds of some of the commentators. But of these Messianic Psalms, 
they, give, they tell us an astonishing amount about Jesus Christ, that he was the son of God, that he was the son of man, that he was the son of David, so it speaks of his deity, his manhood, and his genealogy. His offices, what are his offices? Remember the gold, myrrh, and frankincense of Christmas? His prophet, priest, and king. Those are all described in detail in the Psalms. We find that he, he is to speak in parables, that he'll calm the storm, that he would be despised, that he'd be rejected, that he would be mocked. All this is in the Psalms, that he'd be whipped, he'd be derided, he would be impaled on a cross, during which he would be thirsty, given wine mixed with gall, they cast lots for his garments. All these are ex excerpts from the Psalms, written 700 years before crucifixion was invented, 800 years before the fact. Not a bone was to be broken, and so on. He would rise from the dead. He would ascend to heaven. He would sit at the right hand of God. He is our high priest, and he'll judge the nations. This is all out of the Psalms. We take this for granted as a New Testament reader, and yet it's astonishing to realize this is all extractable from the Psalms. It's interesting that in the early church, in the book of Acts, on eight different occasions, people led people to the Lord from the Scriptures. But the scriptures they're talking about was not the New Testament then, it was the Old Testament. In fact, it was the Greek version of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and largely the Psalms. And his reign would be eternal and so on. That he's the son of God, the son of David, people sing Hosanna, all this is out of the Psalms. Enough of this, okay. So this is another part, as you look at a Psalm, you look at its context, you look at how it might impact Israel today, because after all, these are all Jewish. And uh, how does it affect us personally as believers in the Messiah of Israel today and the prophetic Psalms? There is another dimension that I'm going to emphasize. We could go through the next seven Psalms the same way, with the same style, same approach that we've used in the previous ones of the study. But I'm going to depart to take a look at the next seven Psalms with a slightly different perception. I'll tell you candidly that this is a perception that has escaped nine out of ten of the commentators you'd pick up. So that doesn't mean it's wrong, it doesn't mean it's right, it's just different. But it's not spurious, because you'll find somewhat the same perception in J. Vernon McGee. You'll find the same perception rather humorously dealt with by uh, Peter Uckman, Dr. Uh, uh, Peter Uckman, uh, Ruckman, excuse me, Peter Uckman. Uh, and that is to look at the next group of psalms dispensationally. They certainly are devotional, and our goal in reading them should be devotional first. But I want to show you, I'm going to highlight as we go, another possibility as to what these might deal with. They're considered dispensationally. Prophetic in a broader sense than just the Messiah himself. So Psalm 42, 43, 44, 45, 46, and 47 are the topics tonight. Some of these are quite short, but that is the pattern. Okay. The first three I'm going to suggest to you are not inappropriate from the point of view of considering the plight of Israel during the Great Tribulation. Now this uh, uh, approach, this perspective will, will uh, uh, tax you a bit in your understanding of eschatology, things of the last, uh, 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 last days. But the first three I'm going to suggest are at least suggestive of the Great Tribulation. 
Psalm 45 is widely recognized by most alert commentators as alluding to the marriage supper of the Lamb, surprisingly enough. And uh, the last three are well recognized by many commentators as the kingdom parables. And uh, it was in focusing on the last three as his kingdom parables, I became more and more sensitized to the fact that the four that lead up to it fit in advance of that, that climactic series. In fact, the kingdom parables are invo- speak of the kingdom's arrival, its range, and its center. And uh, so let's just go into the great tribulation. Let's take a look at Psalm 42 from, with at least our, our uh, tuner tuned into the dispensational aspects of it. Psalm 42. To the chief musician, Mashiel, for the sons of Korah. Mashal is simply a psalm intended for teaching or instruction. That's what the word means. It's interesting that this is among those that is directed directly to the sons of Korah. Now, Korah, you may recall, led a rebellion uh, during the period of Israel's wandering in the wilderness, and God executed him because of his rebellion against the authority of Moses and Aaron. But his sons were not punished for that. His sons were uh, 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 spared, that God made that very, very clear, that uh, they continued in service before God. And they are the ones to whom this group of psalms is directed. I want you to notice something else. Most commentators presume that this psalm was written by David, but that's not what it says. There are uh, uh, 73 of the 150 that are da- of David. There's a number that are not... Uh, uh, expressly attributed to David that many scholars assume were David's also, and they may have been. But I think it's significant that it's not on here. And, uh, um, well, let's go ahead. As the heart panteth over the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth for God, for the living God. When, when shall I come and appear before God? Now, that's a strange line, When did David ever enter the Holy of Holies? That's where God presumably resided, at least uh, idiomatically. Um, uh, He never entered the Holy of Holies. So right away, the idea of this being David starts to become a little suspect. And uh, historically, did David rewrite the psalm? There's no evidence of that. When did he enter the Holy of Holies? And in verse 4, we're going to see this happened apparently with a multitude on a holy day. So what is it referring to? Not quite clear. But the psalmist continues, My tears have been my meat day and night. Meat being in the old English sense, just my food, my, my, has been my food day and night. While they continually say to me, Where is thy God? So the psalmist here is being taunted uh, uh, about the ex- very existence of his God. When I remember these things, I pour out my soul in me. For I had gone with the multitude. I went with them to the house of God. With a voice of joy and praise, with a multitude that kept Holy day. So, we continue here. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Help of his countenance. In other words, the Hebrew essentially implies that his presence is salvation. And so the, 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 the psalmist here is rebuking himself for his despondency and he encouraged himself to trust in God. Verse 6, O my God, my soul is cast down within me. Therefore will I remember thee from the land of Jordan, 
and of the Hermonites from the hill Mizar. Well, now, this is a geographic reference. Many commentators like to presume that this, like many of the uh, Psalms, are, the occasion was David in exile during the rebellion of Absalom. So many of the Psalms clearly are that. But this is doubtful here because, first of all, the Hermonites, Mount Hermon is about 40 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. David was in exile about 20 miles south of Galilee. So there's a 60-mile problem there if this is David. And the hill Mazar is, again, a small hill in the northern part of Palestine, east of the Jordan. And uh, so, again, this causes me, among, if nothing else, to cast doubt that this is necessarily, the origin of this is really David, or at least in the, in the historical context that is often ascribed to the Psalms in general. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts. All thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. Now that may sound familiar to you, and that's probably because that's exactly what Jonah prayed when he was in the whale or the large fish in the book of Jonah. And uh, he's in Jonah chapter 2, verse 3, he said, For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about, and thy billows and thy waves passed over me. And so Jonah went to the jaws of death. Most scholars recognize that Jonah probably died and was raised again in that experience. That's, that's controversial, but it's def at least a defendable view. This continues, Yet the Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime and in the night. His song shall be with me and my prayer unto the God of my life. So here the psalmist is in great travail, going, being threatened with doubt, and yet trying to reassure himself that God is adequate, complete, and so forth. And this is descriptive of what the tribulation will be like for Israel. They will think that destruction is upon them, and yet confident that God will ultimately deliver them. Verse 9, I will say unto God, my rock. Now there's a great word. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, Paul tells us that the rock in the Old Testament was Christ. And applies that in many ways. I will say unto God, my rock. And to, to someone, a New Testament reader, that's recognizable as a messianic illusion right there. Why hast thou forgotten me? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? As with a sword in my bones, mine enemies reproach me while they say daily unto me, where is thy God? So you get the predicament of the psalmist, and it's not very deviant from the predicament of the, uh, uh, the Israelite that will be going through the last three and a half years of the 70th week of Daniel. Continuing, why hast thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope thou in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Now this theme is going to continue in the next psalm, by the way. This is Psalm 42. Psalm 43 will many... Uh, scholars even think they may have originally been connected. I won't go that far, but clearly Psalm 43 follows right from Psalm 42. Whatever Psalm 42 is about, 43 is in the same flavor. And so it continues, verse 1, Judge me, O God, and plead my cause against an ungodly nation. O deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. So this could be the remnant of Israel speaking. Who is the unjust man? Who's the ultimate liar, the ultimate deceiver? The Antichrist, okay? And he's going to make a covenant with these people that he will break in the midst of the so-called week of years, the seven-year period. 
And when this happens, their cry will be, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Verse 2, for thou art the God of my strength. Why dost thou cast me off? Why go I mourning because of the oppression of the enemy? You know, as we, we can look at this dispensationally, but we shouldn't miss this plea that we could scream to. Oh, deliver me from the deceitful and unjust man. Have you ever prayed to be delivered from politicians that are deceitful and unjust? If anything characterizes our political landscape in both political parties of the disaster, that, of the, the absence of leadership in this country, how, how indeed we should pray that. In any case, Psalmist continues, Oh, send out thy light and thy truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me unto thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Send out thy light. Who is our light? Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He that follows me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. In John chapter 8. And of course, John 14, 6, most of you have memorized, I am the way, the truth, the life, and no man cometh father but by me. The holy hill... That phrase may be familiar to you if you remember Psalm 2, that incredible psalm that appears to be a trialogue between the members of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, talking among themselves. And uh, in psalm, verse 6 of Psalm 2, God says, Yet I have set my king, where? Upon my holy hill of Zion. We need to remember that Jesus Christ is going to rule, but he's going to rule as a Jewish king on the throne of David from Jerusalem. That's a a view that is not widely recognized in most churches. They tend to spiritualize it. No, this, the, the, the scripture is very explicit on that. We just got through celebrating Christmas where Gabriel promised Mary that her infant would sit on the throne of David. The throne of David is a political throne and it did not exist in the days of Christ's ministry. It has yet to be assumed. He is not on David's throne today. He's on his father's throne. But that is forthcoming. And that's what this is talking about. So we're beginning to get the flavor of it here. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God, my God. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted within me? Hope in God. For I shall yet praise him who is the health of my countenance and my God. Their prayers are going to be answered. And the long-expected Messiah of Israel is going to return. And it's at that time that Ezekiel's prophecy in Ezekiel chapter 36 will be fulfilled. Let's take a look at Ezekiel 36, starting about verse 26. Ezekiel promises, A new heart also will I give you, God says to Ezekiel, and a new spirit will I put within you, and I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I give to your fathers and ye shall be my people and I will be your God. And that's Ezekiel. And that's that little short Psalm 43. Let's take a look at the third of, these, of this trilogy, Psalm 44. Again, it's to the chief musician for the sons of Korah, a Mishael, an instructional psalm. And... Uh, we have heard with our ears, O God, our fathers have told us what work thou didst in their days and the times of old, how thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them, and how thou didst afflict the people and cast them out. 
that echoes, of course, the book of Exodus. It also uh, uh, echoes Gideon, who said, Oh, my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befallen us? And where be all his miracles which our fathers told of us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. That's in Judges 6.13. Again, alluding to the, the victories of the past, but nevertheless embodying some doubt for the present. And uh, the psalmist here in verse 2 is echoing the same thing. How do, thou didst drive out the heathen with thy hand and plantest them. How didst thou afflict the people and cast them out? For they got not the land in possession by their own sword, neither did their own arm save them, but by thy right hand and thine arm, and the light of thy countenance, because thou hast a favor unto them. Thou art my king, O God, command deliverance for Jacob. And uh, when uh, Jacob, of course, became Israel, so Jacob is an idiom here for Israel. And uh, when, he call, when he says, thou art my king, O God, he's talking about Israel's king. Who is Israel's king? Today. They don't have a king today on the earth, but who is their, who's destined to be their king? Jesus Christ, exactly. And he will deliver, to, he will come to deliver his, his uh, people. Thou art my king. The psalmist is re- referring to God, but he's also referring to him as my king. It's so easy to take this and just spiritualize it, idiomatically symbolize it. And yet it, uh, it could prove to be far more explicit than is generally recognized. Verse 5, through thee will we push down our enemies. Through thy name we will tread them under that rise up against us. For I will not trust in thy bow, neither shall my sword save me. But thou hast saved us from our enemies and hast put them to shame that hated us. In God we boast all the day long and praise thy name forever, Selah. Selah is that, uh, some people think it's musical. Others uh, make a good argument that is actually there to connect thoughts. A pause to absorb what has just been just gone on you've been listening to 6640 the ministry outreach of koinonia house and koinonia institute today's bible teacher was chuck missler teaching through the book of psalms for a complete listing of resources available please visit khouse.org or you can call us on 1-800-khouse-1 To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word.